This podcast is presented by Hanover Messe, your leading event for industrial AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it's a pleasure to talk to Peter Sieber. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to whoever you are and wherever you are, dear listener. Good morning, Peter. So we are a bit in a hurry because we are preparing our event, which was on Wednesday, and now it's Tuesday, uh, Thursday. Sorry. So let's start with the news part. What do you have? Very good. Number one, carbon emissions are going to talk about. It seems that writing, illustrating carbon emissions are lower for AI than for humans. Says a team of researchers from several universities, including Sloan School of Management, MIT. So did a very good job, I believe, uh, comparing apples to apples. Uh, my hypothesis is you can compare anything as long as you say I'm comparing apples to oranges and that's perfectly okay. But in this case, they're really comparing. Yeah, it's very important, I think. Yeah. They're comparing AI writing, illustrating versus a human writing, illustrating. And it's it, it results in some very interesting conclusions. Now, before I share those, I must specifically call out that I, of course, support the overall need for global carbon reduction. I think most of us do so. Yeah. And uh, But that, again, that at the same time, I've seen a number of years now, several what I thought impossible statements regarding the carbon consumption of LLMs, yeah. uh, especially always only reporting the one time or maybe once a month could be, of course, training GPT. Now, it turns out that this team of researchers, they say what they know is that this is about, and forget the details, uh, there's only one, two numbers later on, 552 metric tons CO2 for that stands for equivalent CO2E, right? Okay. Rather than what they should do, and the research did so, in addition to also look at the consumption per request. And in this case, the researchers say an online estimate for ChatGPT estimates that it produces 0.382, etc., etc. Forget the details, that's not important. But they're div dividing it by, they say, 10, let me see here, 10 million queries a day. And that's, of course, very important. I think the first time this happened was like maybe two, three years, uh, years ago that I, that I was kind of bringing your attention to this very fact. So forget the details. You can read them later. We'll put uh, the link in the show notes. Yeah. Important is AI writing of a page of text emits maybe, they say, 130 to 1,500 times less CO2 than a human and creating an image, 310 to 2,900, dare I say, very roughly a factor of 1,000. Yeah, how do they do that? They just say, you and I, you know, uh, what are we doing at the moment? We're going to spend half an hour here. Um, and you, uh, we humans, we emit uh, carbon, sure. right? Sure. You know, we, we know how much we emit today. We know that we're 
how many are we? Eight billion point something people mm -hmm. divided. And we know the average, you know, um, consumption um, or emission, sorry, mm -hmm. of uh, CO2 by humans. That's mm -hmm. what basically that's how they do it. And then they say, and then we're going to look at what do these LMMs do? And they say, you know, as I say, uh, the average sorry, is sorry, about... Sorry, Peter, sorry, for, but it's different if you live in, in India or in Cameroon or... Oh, in, certainly. In Germany, right? Sorry, most certainly. And that's exactly what to do. Um, not sure if you read it as well. Maybe it's a coincidence. And they look exactly at a person from India ah. from in comparison to a person living in, not sure, United States okay. or in Germany somewhere. That's exactly what to do. They look at uh, a number of uh, typical. So that's why the average, I say, that's why they come to these numbers of 100 to 1,500. So the one number is for... Uh, people living in areas where people today, you know, they have less CO2 mm -hmm. uh, emission. So basically, as I say, of course, we and especially then those of us that feel that we are in areas where we have been uh, emitting a lot of uh, carbon, of course, we need to continue to reduce. That's mm -hmm. clear. But in the end, tongue in cheek, conclusion you know we can do that by writing illustrating with the help of llms right <laughs> now is a shitstorm pre-program yeah maybe but but don't shoot the messengers you know yeah. uh, this is and that's what happened on linkedin and it happens too often and it is really sad you know when i share something i see and i look and i see these people are scientists they are researchers then i say don't shoot the messenger mm -hmm. i think what you robert and i do we share what it is that we find and we share it with you such that you and it was the same with the artists you know uh, it's like you know for whatever reason when we talk about art that's oh you get a shitstorm from hundreds of people uh, i think it's really sad because i mean we've said years ago that you know things are changing and that's that that's basically maybe in the core of what our podcast is about such that you say oh wow that's interesting uh, i can use that and what am what am i going to do about it personally so as far Okay, as that is concerned. So you will put the the whole paper in the show notes, and everybody can read that, right? Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. My first news is Nightshade, a new free software tool allowing artists to poison AI models seeking to train on their works. It's now available oh, wow. for artists to download and use on any artworks they see fit. And how does it work now? And I have a quote from the from the guys who invented it. It makes use of the popular open source machine learning framework type PyTorch to identify what's in a given image, then applies a tag that subtly alters the image at the pixel level so other AI programs see something totally different than what's actually there. So I will put the whole article also on the show notes, but very interesting. So we start with poisoning AI models. It's almost like a sad piece of news. Yeah. As, as I just referred to, I mean, the same thing. Whenever we talk about copyright, and, and I haven't seen the final outcome from uh, judges, so everybody's awaiting New yeah. York Times versus Microsoft yes. OpenAI. And, and let's see what direction they are going to take in the United States, in this case, in Europe, in other places of the world. I think there was, um, there was a saying, then they said it was a false claim that Japan goes completely free. So whatever. 
what is so sad and what what it is what it is in the core that you are saying is that now uh, suddenly you know artists and let's say LLM providers maybe are behaving like as if they were you know, enemies yeah. you know it's 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 almost like as if they would be uh, it's the same with security you know in sec in security case you could say there is you know let's call them just bad people i don't have a another Hacker. word <laughs> they try to do bad things they try to get your money my money yeah. they try to do whatever you know and we don't want that right uh, so then there's anti um Uh, security message and that's going to continue all the time all the time so whatever comes out new and these days it's like llms and it's whatever it is uh, if that's going to happen the same with art i'm not sure what that's that's going to mean actually yeah. i'm not sure that in the end i do believe you know my my view is that and we you know i shared four years ago We have this institution here. Uh, it's related to the unemployment, and but but they look at 1,500 jobs, and they looked already four years ago. They looked at how are all these 1,500 jobs that we know in this case in the German market, how are they going to change? Mm -hmm. And already four years ago, they said, you know, some of them are going to change 50%, and today we know it's even more. And I think my finishing uh, news is going to be about the same topic. And of course, art and artists is going to be one of them. Not, I'm not. I'm not saying that you know. If judges are going to say that there is a, cop a copyright issue, is not of course, and we we need to deal with that. And I think in the meantime, actually, the LLM providers are dealing with that, right? But what is what is sad is that in the end, why these 1,500 jobs, your and mine, and of all of us, you listeners, all the jobs are going to change. And if including the job of artists, that's one way. Actually, you're going to be traveling. Uh, today with uh, an artist and maybe you can ask him or maybe you already know his view you know um and because he co he's going to be with us as well at the at the conference so i think there is a there is a certain group of artists in this case who, who are working at a higher level so to say at a very high level and they look at AI as a tool, like you know, like a pencil. I start working with a pencil when doing when I do music notes. <laughs> yes, but AI is a tool. So, but what what one it's, argument? It's a little bit sad to hear this. Yeah. yeah, one argument from the from the artists is now I only I only quote. Now we have equality of arms. <laughs> so that's one quote. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly what I mean, and that's really really sad. Yeah. Now. In the end, maybe it could very well be that depending on how certain decisions by judges are going to be, that you're going to have um, you're going to have a, a common both in parallel. You're going to have you know a, a masses of uh, let's call it imagery mm -hmm. uh, produced by humans. Uh, why not call that art sometimes as well? Mm -hmm. I mean, this claim about that only people who call themselves artists uh, produce art. That's I think that's uh, I'm not sure that I really uh, support that. But but nevertheless, why not? It could be that then if If, that certain people are gonna be, let's say, be more interested in or paying more money for art as such produced by a human brain. I don't sure. know with what means, then, but that could very well be. I think in the end, it's a bit uh, sad that this this is happening. But there you go. Nobody yeah. could know who uh, how this is um, developing. I go on because I have also a number of the week, and my number of the week is. 350,000. That's 
how many GPUs Meta wants to have an operation by the end of this year and they invest 10 billion dollars in this GPUs. That's incredible, right? As absolutely incredible. 350,000 GPUs. Not sure what that means. As most of you know, I spent 10 years with this one company. Oh, and I, I called out the name of you know, the current CEO of Intel, Pat Kelsinger. I found out that he was the main architect of the 46. And I was going to share another article. And then there was another almost shitstorm because he was in Davos. Like everybody was in Davos. Only you and yeah. I were not. Everybody was in Davos. <laughs> but, but, and, and they was today were putting weird things again. Uh, it's sometimes it's uh, really a ship. Now, what is this again saying? This, is this really saying that that only the companies like Meta and you know big tech, so to say, Microsoft, that they yeah. will, yeah. yeah, whatever. I don't know. I really don't know what it means. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, but again, I'm not sure what they're going to do with it, right? And what but I who's, did, who's able to produce all these GPUs? Is there a capacity to produce it? Because everybody wants to have these GPUs now from NVIDIA. Uh, yeah, again, I say I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay only NVIDIA. I mean, yeah. whoever can produce, if it's AMD or Intel, yeah. uh, which originally, and that's why, that's why I was so sad again to see certain uh, remarks related to the guy who made the base processor, if that would not have been there, because it's almost like a tree and all the other ones come out yeah. of that tree, right? Um, but yeah, what is what is this saying again? I mean, does it really mean that only this company and others with the same budget that they can, and because then I would almost move to, and then we move to the open source, but we do that another time. Yeah. It's of course very, important that you know these these capabilities these hardware capabilities are spread one way or the other um yeah it's amazing. oh yeah and i was going to say who's behind is not behind in the decision to do this i'm not sure but of course uh lacan what's his first name Jan, Jan lacan Jan, Jan, yeah, yeah, but the but the French way, right? With a with a Y, with yeah. a Y, yeah. So yeah, I put a um, a YouTube uh, thirty minutes. It's from December, but very interesting. I looked and shared on, on LinkedIn. Uh, he's of course the let's say the AI brain behind Meta, all of this. Yeah. And I must say, very good. and okay, and then having having used the word open source, he's the biggest supporter of open source. He's a very strong. You should try to get him in your open source uh, podcast. Yeah, the, uh, I always <laughs> try to get him in the industrial AI podcast, um, but it's impossible to to reach out. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you still get? Else have because uh, Stefan is waiting in the main part. Okay, I have the launch of the uh, GPT store. Most of you have seen that, maybe. Uh, you know, it was announced during Dev Day. Some of uh, you recall. Uh, well, I understand you built your first. You are building your first GPT, Robert. I'm still struggling a bit. I'm <laughs> still uh, trying out a little bit. I make some. Uh -huh, okay. I have some ideas what to do with it, but it's fascinating what is possible to do. It's absolutely everybody I should try that. You. Yeah. We were going to talk yesterday, and I uh, I had five minutes left. Yeah. And in those five minutes, I produced mine. Now, I'm not going to call out the name, <laughs> uh, and you're not going to recognize it because it's by um, a different name. I'm not going to go into further details. There's a, so there's a builder, right? And it takes you by the hand, as yes. always, and it says, yeah. what do you want to do? And yeah. I say, okay, it's something with music. That's all I will say. 
And then it says, oh, that's that's interesting. It says, right, the way it always communicates, which yeah. I like a lot, a lot, a lot. I hate prompting. <laughs> I think that's, am I going to say prompting is stupid? No, I'm, I don't dare to say that because so many of you listeners deal. So I didn't say that. But my point <laughs> has always been, you know, we, we, it's for us humans. It's a tool for us. We should not spend hours and weeks of learning and how to deal with it. So I like it a lot when the tool opposite of me starts asking me questions. That's what it does. And it's a, it's a, it's a backwards forwards thing. And I just say, yes. And do you, oh, I have a wonderful name. This is the name. Uh, the problem is that when I look yesterday, is it available? And I put the name in Google. Mm-hmm. That that there is a company with this name. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So right. we are back so with, on the topic of artists and poisoning AI models, right? Oh, so today I'm going to ask um, you know the, the the builder if that's a problem, yeah. and then, then I'm maybe going to delete it. So uh, here's just one potential problem. Except for that, it asked me what is the tone? Uh, is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Is it going to be formal? Is it going to be this? There's like five, six, seven, eight questions. A really five minutes click. There, there it was with a beautiful logo, of course, Dali. Yes. And now it's live. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to mention it out for this potential <laughs> copyright uh, infringement, uh, but it was very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Please go on, Peter. I have another one, uh, Amira Awadi. Um, uh, She's a student in the field of industrial information AI. She's looking for a summer internship in Germany. During her research, uh, she stumbled upon tiny machine learning, tiny ML. We oh. talked about it a long time now, yeah. but when you talk about, I think you're uh, you're recording today in a different way, I, which I called embedded. She's done something uh, similar. Uh, she's very excited by the possibilities. Uh, she did uh, deploy a model on an uh, STM32 microcontroller. Um, she previously worked with Siemens uh, TIA, but also with Fanuc Robots. Um, she's eager to apply her experience in these areas. If you, dear listener, are looking for support by an intern, um, you can uh, contact uh, Amira directly. We'll put her name and also her LinkedIn um, in the speaker notes. Perfect. That's the last one, or do you have still one? one? Uh, yeah, very quick. Okay. Uh, one is Volkswagen, Mercedes Volkswagen in Las Vegas, CES. They announced they're going to be using, um, for those of you that haven't used GPT, but maybe you're um, Volkswagen, but also Mercedes, I believe, um, driver. So you, soon you're going to be using ChatGPT uh, from behind the wheel first in Europe. And then they are considering also for customers in the United States. Uh, today, it's only for basic functions, heating, air conditioning, but you can ask it whatever you want to ask it. So uh, the, the, the thought that came to me was like, you know, the car as your new voice assistant and then thinking further, because again, all the time that Robert and I, that we, that we are not directly talking about uh, production lines, you listener, think of the production line. I help you right now. So if the car is a new voice assistant, what about, you know, you HMI developer, you know, am I going to be able to ask your machine that you will put out in the market this year? Am I, as a user of your machine, going to be able to ask whatever I want to ask? You know? Yeah. I just want you to think, have that thinking. <laughs> and the final was a Harvard study. And that's around what we talked yeah, about. Yeah, that's, that's what, what, what Zepp mentioned, I think, four, week, four years ago, the speaking machine. Yeah, talk to the machine. Yeah. 
that's exactly yeah and my thought here though was that yes of course that's that's that is the the way the new way of communicating i believe question mark i don't know but in addition not about as it says here for the car to you know make sure that you put your heating up or whatever and for the machine in your production line to check you know uh, is the oil level okay no to to ask you know I don't know. Is um, uh, is my wife already um, uh, at home today? <laughs> whatever you want to know, whatever you know that you normally would ask a chat, maybe the assistant here, or uh, and then that is that is my idea. It's like uh, it's your whatever capability is in front of you. Uh, are you going to be able to ask it anything that you want? You know, okay. if you allow it. Yeah. My final one was then this study from Harvard, and it's the future of employment and operations impact of Gen AI production related functions. They have all these typical uh, function um, specifications. I'm not going to go through all of mm-hmm. them. I mentioned two, three, production controller, production planner, logistics planner. You get the gist. There is not a 21. Mm-hmm. And they suggest that they look at the percentage of function tasks that can be automated by Gen AI. And I think the general, num- the average number is roughly at 30, 40%. They, they mm-hmm. haven't specifically buy. So this is one of those things, believe it or do not believe it. If you are a, in addition, supplier, manager, automation, engineer, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you can, you can listen at these things. You can read them and you say crap, or you can say, oh, you know, I'm one of those. And then bottom line, Anyway, what they see it, and that's, of course, the big good thing, uh, how we have switched in the last one, two years, I believe. They see the outcome as a potential to counteract the shortage of skilled workers. Yes, yeah, sure. When, when sure. we would have shared this, you know, three years ago, it was, oh, again, people losing their job. Well, it's not today like that. Not, mm-hmm. not in most cases, right? Yes, we're looking for people everywhere and all the time. We can't find them. So with the help of automation, with the help of LLMs, uh, we're going to be able to do the things that we wanted to do rather than you know needing to wait for humans to be available. And now we have a cut because in the main part, there's Stefan Fischer-Eder from Keba already waiting. And we won't discuss LLMs. We won't discuss reinforcement learning. We won't discuss any scientific use case. We will talk about gray boxes. <laughs> and, and do you know why automation companies always produce new gray boxes when it comes to AI? Um, no, I don't know, but he will tell you. <laughs> yes, yes, but I think it's always the same. Do you see automation companies? Okay, the the first thing is let's talk about a new gray box to build. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Yeah, I don't have the I don't have the answer. I mean, you, yeah, you he will me. he will explain us what is. Oh, the, he will. The, yeah, yeah, he will explain you. Right. He will I'm explain the, to the answer. The the keyboard strategy on AI, on industrial AI, why they're using Halo ships and how to deploy and and what what I found is very interesting because one part of the industrial AI strategy by Keba is to help their customers to deploy to use machine learning AI in their processes. So it's more a a service, a consulting uh, business for Keba. They invite their customers, they show what is possible with this new gray box, and then they they teach them to to find use cases, to solve use cases, to solve problems. And that's, 
I think very interesting. Um, yeah, sounds great. That's a new approach, I think, a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that's what they have seen uh, the market needs yep. today, right? I guess you know, uh, and I guess if we're, if we're still at that at that level, I mean, uh, until the point where you know, then the customers know what it is they can do, and then they're gonna maybe buy the next version of their uh, solution. But as, but as long as they sell into a market where people are still maybe confused and, and are not sure what it is they can do with it. I think that's uh, wonderful if you help your product um, into the market by, by you know, providing, what does he say, consulting for... Yeah, it's, my, it's my, my words, consulting to yeah, teach, right. teach the customer. Yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. Peter, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Robert, thank you very much. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Stefan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Please introduce yourself briefly to the listeners. Who are you? What is Keba? And what are you doing at Keba? Well, um, hello, I'm Stefan Fischelder. I'm the product manager for industrial AI here at Keba. Keba is quite a big company in Austria with around 2,000 people. We have three business units. One of them is industrial automation. And in that, we produce controls and drives for the automation market. And we're now figuring out how to use AI in that industrial field. And this is my new role since March. And since then, I, I try to figure out how to really get the things around AI right for industrial usage. When I talk to, to automation companies in general, not only to Kebor, I ask myself... Why do automation companies always build gray boxes to sell AI? Well, uh, in our case, it's not really a gray box. It's a white box. No, small hardware boxes. Yeah, it's a small hardware box, but this is mostly only for the calculation power that is more or less in a gray box. The rest around it, I think we envision that as a very transparent thing to do. So you can use your own machine learning frameworks, and then export it to our chip to fit your needs. But also for not as experienced people in the automation sector, as the knowledge, of course, is growing in that field. But we also try to have it in, in various levels of complexity. So you can, if you want to, really do it on the hardware level and really deploy your own models. Or you take uh, pre-trained models and transfer train them and use them inside our PLC. But yeah, it's a hardware product, right? Yes. Why do automation companies do not sell models for it, for example, or invest to sell models, to sell domain knowledge you collected over the last 30 years? Why always selling gray boxes? Well, in our case, it's, it's, we're a control manufacturer, more or less. So the thing with data, and data is the ground building block of models, we don't get them. We just simply don't get the data from our end customers. So we need to empower them to build their own models and really have their domain knowledge packed in their own models and they need something to calculate it on. So is it only an add-on to a control, to a PLC, or what is this AI module? The AI module is exactly that. It is an add-on for our existing control platform and we really want to empower our customers to calculate neural networks on the edge so inside the control system more or less 
And there are, as I already told, uh, there are several levels of that. So you can either just train your model, put it in some kind of toolchain we provide. What kind of toolchain is that? Well, that depends on the chip we use. So at the moment we use the Halo chip. Why Halo? Well, they were forthcoming and really they tried to sell the product to us and it fit our needs back then. So it is a industrial grade. They come from the automotive sector. So they have the temperature range. They have the long-term availability. And that all really got to us because we had a formal solution. And we weren't quite happy with cost and the software the, uh, support. Robustness. Uh, and also the robustness, because it was an FPGA solution. did do the trick in some kinds, but it was actively cooled and it had not this ruggedness of, of the product. So in the, in the case of Halo, we, we really just put a heatsink on there and it's, it's totally fine. Okay, I interrupted you when we talked about the tool chain. So yeah, so the tool chain uh, mostly comes from the Halo guys. So basically, normally your uh, machine learning model is in floating point 32, but the chip is, is made for integer, like most of the edge devices. So you have to have a quantization step and a compilation step in order to really have the your model that you trained in your machine learning framework that you can deploy that on the machine. So that is the tool chain. And afterwards, our software stack comes into place. So we have our configuration tool, which is called K-Studio, in which you then... But this is not new, right? This is not new. We just integrate the stuff. So you can then select your model, your pre-trained compiled model with the tool chain, and you can really then deploy that on the machine. And then you can either use that out of our C runtime, so you can use C code, You can use that out of uh, a Python runtime or, and this is the thing we see that is quite new, you can really just take a PLC function block. IEC? It's IEC 611.31 and in the codices flavor in our case. And then you can, uh, we, we provide the library and then you can do, for example, object detection with your model and you will get the position of your trained objects in near real time. So that is the that is the integration we see is is what is new, what is the really the USB of this product. USB, okay. You mentioned the PLC or the control unit. There are competitors on the market who can deploy the models directly on a PLC. Is that not an option for you? Well, in case of time series, like predictive maintenance and things like that, we envision that as well to be run on the controller, of course. But in case of computer vision and AI vision algorithms, you need the parallelized compute power, which you don't necessarily have on a, on a CPU, on a standard CPU in, a, in, a, in an industrial control. So you mentioned vision. When I talk to camera companies, the cameras themselves already come with their own gray boxes. Where do you see the market then for your gray box? Well, our gray box is integrated in our previous gray box, which is our control. So more or less, it's, it's just an addition to our already existing gray box. And it is really well integrated. So you don't have a third party, which has to then maintain your third party gray box. And that is really the advantage we see with that kind of product. What kind of customers do you focus with your new AI module? Well, at the moment, we are in a so-called early access program. So we are really focusing on companies that have needs in both control hardware, like a PLC, and computer vision. Mm -hmm. So a good use case is always tracking objects on a conveyor belt, for example. Mm -hmm. So that is what we are, at the moment, really focusing on. We have some select early access product customers already. 
Um, and we're still looking for, for a little bit of more customers to really learn what is missing from our approach. Mm -hmm. Can you give me a little bit more details how this AI module communicates with the PLC and how do you integrate this AI module in your automation landscape? Basically, what we do at the moment is that there is our control system is based on a Linux operating system. So it's open. So it's very open. On that, we can deploy a Docker container where all the drivers and software is then uh, already deployed for you. And we have the extension bus on the left side of our control system, which is basically a PCI Express slot. So over PCI Express and the driver made for Linux, we can then communicate over the C API, which is provided, of course, by the Halo guys. Yeah. And with that, you can really, you can on the fly deploy models, send data to in for the inference and get the results back over the PCI Express. So I think we have two lanes of PCI Gen 2. So that means I think we have a gigabyte per second in, in data transfer. And that really makes it fast enough to have the right frames per second throughput for typical camera AI vision applications. You start with vision topics or do you also see more to come? Well, at the moment, we, we really see the vision as the most prominent thing to do for the early access program. But of course, we want to build up the software stack in a way that every machine learning problem we will encounter in the future and we will tackle in the future has the same principle of usage. So we want to build an, a platform in software where it's the one hand similar to use for all of the machine learning problems. And on the other hand, it should abstract really the hardware that is running beneath that. So whether it's a Halo chip or it's running on our CPU or another edge accelerator, um, we're really looking to diversify the portfolio because you have more or less different performance requirements for different problems. So you can envision different accelerator cards over time that we will develop with different chip manufacturers as well. So you, you mentioned you will do the time series stuff on the PLC, on the controller, and you will do the vision stuff on the AI module, for example. Let's talk about models in general. Do you think they are getting bigger and bigger for the industrial applications? Because maybe in my opinion, they are getting smaller and smaller. And do we need at the end one big NVIDIA, Halo, Kiba, I don't know, automation, GPU, CPU next to the production line in the future. In the near future, I can't envision that we, we really get rid of controllers on the edge. That is because of latency issues. Well, not everybody, not, not every production line is really hooked onto the internet at the moment. So in the near future, you will always have to have some kind of edge device where you can really calculate the things in real time and get it to the actuators in a kind of real time way. But yeah, in the, in the upcoming future with network protocols getting better at real time and, and internet connections getting faster, there is, of course, a way out of the edge controller box and it's just virtual controllers in the cloud. But that's, I see is in well don't nail me on that but i think 20 years 20 years from now i think so for all of the controllers to be gone of course there will be steps towards that but all of the controllers be gone i don't think that there is a, a near future for that let's talk at the end a little bit about your customers who is your perfect or your dream customer for this solution 
for our solution, the dream customer is already a customer of ours, which has a problem with a third party doing their vision stuff. And they really want to have a closed solution, so to say, from one vendor only. So this is where we really thrive, where we can work with them together. We are really focusing at partnership here at Keba. So they already know how we work. We mostly know how they work. And that is really beneficial. For non-existing customers, they will have want to have to really profit from our control system as well. So it's not a, an AI standalone black box or gray box. It's really the... The combination of the control system with the AI module that makes it special. What makes it so special, the combination? Well, the, the deep integration, actually. It's, it's really about the integration because everybody can hook a consumer PC with a GPU and connect over Ethernet and some kind of protocols. But really having it inside the control system connected to the PCI Express, really communicating over shared memories inside the control process. So that is really something that is that is quite quite good, actually. What is the first feedback from your customer? Well, the first feedback, um, the first early access customer we had uh, or have at the moment ongoing, they didn't really know much about the world of AI. Mm -hmm. And they just had a problem which they wanted to, to solve. And part of the early access program is always an initial workshop. So they were here for two days. And we really, from start to finish, we, we showed them how uh, machine learning and labeling of things and supervised learning is done. And then deploy that thing on a controller. But you have a lot of domain knowledge in this stuff. You, you know how to do that. Why don't you sell that too? Well, uh, that is actually something we want to build up, really to have a, a, a team as well which can then provide those services. But at the moment, as we are quite a small team, we are focusing on really helping the people deploying the stuff. The, the machine learning side of things is not our main focus at the moment. Okay. So the customer comes to Kiba, you help him with his use case, and then he, he walks out with the AI module. Exactly. And then there is, in our test phase, we want to have smaller projects, like half a year, where we can really support them punctually and if they really need more services we are willing to sell that as well but at the moment we think that an initial workshop with giving them all the knowledge they need and punctual really um, support hours they then can succeed with their uh, automation project with ai vision if you look at the market there are a lot of edge devices all over the market and we had an episode last week that Yaskava also put it a new GPU next to the robot. Kira is very excellent technology for robots also. What is the main difference to all edge devices all around the world? The main difference is, as I already said, it's it's the integration part. And and I think it's it's not only about the... Why is that so important? Because if you want to have it all in your hand and don't want to rely on a third party, just on your own knowledge and the knowledge of your of your single supplier, then there is the chance that you really are faster in deployment and really can achieve what you want to achieve in a smaller amount of time because less parties are involved. And also... I don't want to fixate that on this on this module because in future maybe GPUs on on CPUs the integrated GPUs are powerful enough to calculate that as well. So we really want to abstract this as well with our software layer so that you can really switch out the accelerator from where you get the acceleration power is then well it's arbitrary. So the the USP is more the software? I think so, yes. Can we go a little bit more in detail in the software stack? What do you do on the software stack? 
Well, at the moment, we're really trying to build up libraries for it to use in PLC and in C. And we have this open control philosophy since a, a longer time now. So you can really customize your solution to your needs. So if you don't want to have it in PLC, then you have still the C runtime also in real time. And there is always this, this is what we do as Keba a lot. We want to really give the solution into the hands of our customers. So that is really what we are focusing on. And in the AI part, it's the same. So we want to really have them empowered by our technology, but they don't need to really, um, they, they can one when they want do a lot of things on their own. But we also want to build up the, the software is that they can use it without too much domain knowledge in the domain of AI. So if they want to have object detection, then with some clicks in our configuration tool. So it's a little bit AutoML inside? Well, at the moment, there is no AutoML inside. It's, it's more or less, it's configuration of the things. Then you can use it in the traditional way in the PLC. Okay, but you mentioned Docker. Is it possible that you will offer more applications on your platform, on your software stack? or maybe third-party applications? Yes, of course. As we are an open control system, everything is possible. But it's not on your agenda? Right now, we're figuring out how to really get this kind of vision product on the line. And from there on, we have some kind of roadmap where we want to really enforce the next big thing will be, of course, the, the time series data problems. Okay, what you will do with that? Well, this is in the future at the moment. So there are a couple of work streams running in different cells, not here at the AI team, at the AI core team, but all of the business units, all of our, we call them MCCs, competence centers for the markets. Some of them have their own investigative projects, so to say, where they really do condition monitoring and, and transforming that to predictive maintenance. Let's talk at the end of, about the elephant in the room, LLMs, because I think that your customers who already use control units by Kiba, now the CEO recognizes, oh, there's something with LLMs, we have to do something with AI, and then goes to his R&D office and says, what we can do with, with this LLM? Do you recognize this hype that they are coming now and ask for solutions? Of course there are. The LLM part, most of our customers already understood that this is nothing that we really want to have on the control side of things, but in the tooling and, and in help and in support. And there are work streams going on right now where we want to try to really use chatbots for support. We want to use chatbots in in the engineering process. In the engineering process as well. We are trying for ourselves at the moment how the copilots perform. Uh, the standard copilots, the Microsoft, the, the GitHub copilots, and with that knowledge, so we have colleagues that build up the knowledge how it helps them being productive in, in their daily work. So you measure this? Uh, there is some kind of measurement going on. That would be interesting to really measure it. Yeah, yeah but if, the, if you can really measure it, I don't know, because the, 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 the guys that actually use that are our most kind of good programmers already. Okay, so, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, so they really are uh, critical on, on what helps them and how, they, uh, how it helps them. And they, they have now the opportunity to really try out the co-pilots. And with that knowledge and the results of the test phase of the already existing co-pilots, we then want to maybe have co-pilots for the Kaba-specific languages. Because there is, I see with the Codices flavor, but there is still a little bit more tuned up you for need Keba. to add something yeah, yeah. Um, and also there is uh, for the robotic side of things there is teach talk which is a totally uh, Keba specific language which is c flavored kind of pythonish but we 
developed this long before Python even existed. So there could be really a boost for our customers as well uh, if they are new to TeachDoc, for example. So let's talk about a little bit of deployment, this model now. The customer has now a model and how easy is it now to deploy it for the customer? So in our conf configuration tool, we uh, developed a plugin where you can then select the trained model and load it to the controller. But I don't want to load it on real time. Is it a digital twin also there where I can test it first? No. <laughs> a simulation maybe? Yeah, you have a simulation that is always at Keba. We have the simulation part and then you can really verify this outcome and retrain your model if it's not sufficient and then do the same loop again. So there is no automated process in that, but there is a lot of interesting questions for the people out there maybe, how the process is to be done in, in a very efficient way, how to optimize your machine learning models. And there is no apparent solution for us at the moment. And we're really trying to look at companies that, that already do that and maybe form partnerships as well. But this could be a business model for Keba to build MLOps pipelines for your customer so that it's Keba proved and you do not, uh, you can relax because Keba is managing the whole MLOps. This could actually be a good business model as well for us. But we need to find out in our early access programs if that is something that our customers really need. I think so. And we will have the next step is certification ops. Of course, that is the next step um, with with having the TÜV Austria and AI Act, yeah. the AI Act and, and everybody here in Linz already um, having these kinds of certification processes. We want to... to um, employ these as well on our on our product because i think in the future when you talk about high risk applications safety and critical infrastructure plc's controller etc etc et you need to recertificate an updated model at the end and and you need a pipeline for that and maybe this is also a business model beyond the gray boxes for kiba yeah of course it's all always we were we're thriving to have these kinds of business models that are more going into software because as you and i discussed before there is a trend towards having no or less hardware boxes around And we need to really have more business models in that direction. But you earn a good money with gray boxes, for example, NVIDIA. They will always, also in the future, build gray boxes. Yeah, yeah of course. And, and they are not going away fast, but they are going away in the future at some point. And, and we need to prepare for that as well at, at Keba. I was surprised because I, I saw it in Europe's AMD was there. And they presented new technology and they said, okay, we will do the software completely open source. Mm -hmm. And that's different to NVIDIA. And maybe this is a game changer in, in hardware-driven AI. That could be very much a game changer as well as I think there are a lot of accelerator chips for AI now going the direction of RISC-V, which is also an open source standard for, for RISC architectures. And that could also be open source is the key to unlock AI even more. Stefan, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.